Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 617. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding and always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, I think I'm I think I'm kind of leading the charge here today, aren't I, sweetie? Uh, maybe. Um, we are going to play a clip from a podcast called We Can Do Hard Things, starring Glennon Doyle. Starring. And Abby Wambach and her sister. What's her sister's name? Her sister's name is Amanda. Amanda Hug and Kiss? Just Amanda. Um, and I realized that uh, Glennon and Abby call each other babe. Sure. And it annoys me. Oh, but and Todd. Then, and then I realize my the hypocrisy yes. of my annoyance. Correct. Because I call you sweetie. Now, why would it annoy you that they call each other babe? I don't know. Deeper dive than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's annoying. That's why it annoys me, because it's annoying. I know, but that I know you're saying there's hypocrisy, but that's unfair. But do a totally little unfair. do a little deeper dive. Why would it annoy you that people call each other babe? I feel like I need the Jeopardy music here. Do, do, well, there is no do, right answer, but do, it's. Do, do, I don't want to leave that there because we've been doing this 10 years. I and think the people... reason I'm bringing it up is because I'm trying to own the hypocrisy of the judgment. Right. And so and then take it a step lower. Yeah, I don't want to go that far. <laughs> I just want to stay stay at the, the very surfacey judgmental part, sweetie. Well, by definition, you know, hypocrisy means doing something and then judging others for doing the same thing. Correct. Okay. So we all know what hypocrisy means. But there, you obviously have, you know, within the hypocrisy is some kind of judgment. Um, not only is there entitlement that you can use that, Boom. but that there is a sense Check. that, uh, right, there is something below, like, what do you think that means? Do you think they're being fake? Do you think that, no. are you annoyed by people who love each other? No. Are you, um, do you, yeah, you not You just list want, a bunch of things and I'll tell you if you, if you hit Do you it. not like PDA? No, I like PDA. Okay. Um, do you... Uh, it, does it annoy you because you feel like they're being too personal with something or private, something that's typically private? No. Do you think that they are being fake? No. Okay. I think they call each other babe. I do too. Just and I like, call you sweetie. Correct. Right. So then that's really interesting. Yeah, we got nowhere there. Other than the, that that I am entitled and, <laughs> and uh, Hippocratic. Hypocritical. Hypocritical. Right. What's with the Hippocratic... Hippocratic oath when uh -huh. you become a doctor or whenever you become... Yes. Did you have to take an oath like that? Uh, not the same one, no. but you do take... I just uh, thought social workers it's take an it interesting term because hypocrisy is typically a negative thing. But is that a play on hypocrisy? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to answer any of the questions you've been asking me so far during this podcast, 617. <laughs> Hippocratic. Okay, so... The Hippocratic Oath. Yeah, I think it's, uh, what it's is it? spelled uh, differently, first oh, of all. Is? The Hippocratic Oath is, it's actually a, a Greek word. Mm -hmm. It's perhaps the most widely known of Greek medical texts. It requires a new physician to swear upon a number of healing gods mm -hmm. that he will uphold a number of professional ethical standards. Yeah. It also strongly binds the student to the teacher and the greater community, et cetera, et cetera. So for anybody who's good at words, email me and tell me why hypocrisy is bad, but the Hippocratic Oath is good. That's important. I need to figure that out before I fall asleep tonight. So do you want to know what it says? Sure. The Hippocratic Oath says, 
This is the oath. To treat the ill to the best of one's ability, to preserve a patient's privacy, to teach the secrets of medicine to the next generation. Love it. I'm on board with all those things. Yeah. So I think it's a different, I think it's just a similar word. Could be. Like, so we're not going to solve this problem. We're just going to, you're going to, will you uh, make a commitment to work through that so you're not annoyed? No, definitely not committing to that. I'll consider committing to it. Okay. Yeah. You're going to try? I'm just in the place today where I don't want to do any work. Okay. You don't want to do any uh, emotional labor. Yeah, yeah. It's Sunday. It's God's day, sweetie. Right. Um, so a few things. One is on September 28th of this month, Dr. Alexander Solomon is coming to the Men Living Space, and she's going to lead a workshop for men or anybody who identifies as a man called From, From Performance to Pleasure, Becoming a Better Lover. So I want to disinvite any man who does not want to become a better lover. You are not invited. But anybody who does want to become a better lover, please join us. Uh, If you're new to Men Living, it's free. If you're not new and you're not a member, it's 30 bucks. But the subtitle is Not Tonight, Sexual Challenges and Opportunities in Long-Term Relationships. I should probably Um, shut my email off. Yeah. So what's interesting is I don't love that word. And I'm glad you guys are using it because it makes sense. Which word? I just, when people call someone their lover... Um, I know you're using it as an adjective, yeah. like as, or no, it, as a noun. Mm-hmm. Wait, how are you using it? To be a better lover. It's a noun. It is still, it's a noun either way. Lover Sorry. is a person, place, or thing, or idea. That's what right. I learned in third grade. But isn't it funny, like that word, I don't know if I've ever used, I've said it because I've been referring to other things, but I'm wondering if I've ever used it myself in a sentence, like, that's my lover. Sweetie, I'm your beau. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I want to thank Chris Lozier. He donate, donated 100 bucks to the uh, NAMI Walks Your Way Chicago fundraiser for Zen Parenting slash Men Living. He's not going to join us on the walk, which is a bunch of crap, but um, <laughs> he did donate. So thank you, Chris Lozier. Um, so it's uh, going back to Dr. Solomon, yes. um, I really liked her post from yesterday Let's because it. all it said, usually she has kind of a long you know, text about you know learning something new as far as psychology goes and relationships. But yesterday it just said, normalize going to couples therapy. That's all. And then she went on to say that there's this romantic mythology that an intimate relationship should happen naturally. But the real world says the vast majority of us enter intimate partnership without having learned the skills and tools we need. So the interesting thing is, is within the relationship, we can develop those tools, we can learn new things. But if we have blocks or traumas or defense mechanisms, which is similar to a block, I guess, whatever it may be, sometimes you need this outside person to be a mediator, to not to choose sides or to say someone's right or wrong. Because I think that's a fear that, um, I'm going to be general right now, but I think men have this fear they're going to go and be told they did something wrong. Yeah. I I hate getting told what I'm doing wrong. And I really think the best relationship therapists, the best couples therapists are able to demonstrate where both people are not seeing each other. Yeah. Um, And, you know... I just wanted to say that because yeah. I think that there's a lot of people I talk to who are very, um, they feel like if they consider couples therapy that they have somehow failed their relationship. And it's quite the opposite. opposite. It's the opposite. Exactly. That you're actually saying, no, 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 this is my first priority. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to dedicate this time and energy. And not only will I become a better partner and lover, Yes. Um, but I will also become a more open human where I'll see everybody with more compassion, with more understanding. I'll notice my defense mechanisms. I'll notice where I retreat or 
you know, fight, flight, whatever I do, um, freeze. And, and it's just, I think there's a lot to learn from any kind of therapeutic experience, especially with someone you love. So, <laughs> yeah. Taylor knows. Kind of a slow start. I do like this song though. All right. It's enough of that. Nobody even knows what it is. It's the beginning of a song called Lover by Taylor Swift. Real quick, I want to go back to NAMI stands for National Alliance of Mental Illness. If you want to join the team either with your wallet or join me walking next Saturday in Chicago, just go to the show notes in on this podcast. So there. Boom. Shakalaka. Zen Parenting Moment. I'm going to start it with a music quote. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. What's the name of this song, sweetie? American Land. And why am I playing it? Because I used that quote that you just played for my, one of my Zen parenting moments last week that I titled Citizen. Yes. And the, the quote was, wish me luck, my lovely. I'll send for you when I can and we'll make our home in the American land. Why did you use this quote? So uh, this this actually, this experience that I wrote about happened pre-COVID. Um, but I was at the library. We have this awesome library here in Elmhurst. And I was sitting, I always get this table by myself in this more like quiet study area. And I was sitting there and at one point I got up to go get my daughter, I think from school. And this woman like grabbed my arm as I was walking by, kind of startled me. And she said, were we talking too loud? And she was, um, I would call her definitely a senior, an elderly woman. Um, and she was with a middle-aged man. And I said, no, not at all. You know, I'm just going to get my my daughter. And she said, she went on to explain to me that she's been tutoring this man in learning English because he plans to take his citizenship test and he, you know, needs to have some better understanding not only of the language but of our history so he can do this. And she said that they can just barely find time to get together because he worked seven days a week. That's all seven of them. And he has a family that he takes care of. And it was just a really kind of moving thing because everyone was like getting tears in their eyes. Like she she said... She was telling me the story and he was kind of nodding along. And then she said at the end something to the effect of, I am going to work with him as long as I have to because I am going to help him pass this test. Like she was very like and kind of grabbed, you know, his hand while she was saying this. And then he got all teary. Mm. And it was just like this moment. I'm like, why? Why am I in this moment? And I mean that in the best way. Like what a gift. And so I just kind of gave them props i was like you both are amazing people and i just love what you're doing for each other and sweetie how would one subscribe to the zen parenting moment that comes out twice a week um so just go to zenparentingradio.com and right at the top of the page it says subscribe and you just click on it and put in your email what if they don't want to get on their laptop uh you can just scroll down below this podcast like on your podcast app and just click a link first name last name email done and they'll get directed uh, to your inbox twice a week so hopefully you do that uh, by the way, I wrote a blog last week on what happened in Texas, and I came out with kind of my position regarding women's rights and the law that just got passed in Texas, and I have received a lot of feedback from it, some good, some negative, and it makes me think we're going to interview Rob Bell tomorrow and uh, put it up uh, for next week's podcast. And I think I might ask him how he 
navigates and navigated through people that get reactive to some of the things that he shares. Oh, wow. Well, Rob Bell's been... Right. Like, if you're going to learn, you should probably learn from the the guy that has... There's a documentary on him that he, you know, supported called The Heretic. Because that's what people call Because that's what people call So, like, when Rob Bell will um, perform somewhere or do his... um, what, what do we call it? It's not a performance. He, it's not a, it's not a lecture series. What is it? It's kind of a mixture. Yeah. Well, he, he, what I like about Rob and we've had him on the, on the, at the conference and on the podcast, I think he's a cross between a spiritual teacher, an entertainer, a stand-up comedian, all mixed into one thing. He's a seven on the Enneagram. He is a seven. But anyway, when he does his shows, we'll just say that there's Oftentimes, depending on what city he's in, there are people with their signs protesting his yes. shows because they believe him to be a heretic. So, he, yeah, he's gonna. We're gonna interview him tomorrow. Tomorrow, but it's not gonna be up until next week. Okay. So, and we're doing a podcast tomorrow. I You're know. getting two podcasts this week. Why are we doing a second podcast? We're doing a podcast, a second podcast, because today, if you're listening to this, this is Tuesday. This is our regular scheduled programming, and then we're gonna put out a podcast tomorrow, which is uh, Wednesday, September fifteenth, because. My book is available for pre-order that day, so we're going to talk about it. Um, And so, yeah, we're going to talk about it that day. Yes, I'm excited for that. So you get a double dose of Zen Parenting Radio, and then we are going to do Zen Talk on Monday of next week. So please join the team. Thirty, what is it? Twenty bucks? Twenty-five bucks? Uh Every go we charge. Twenty-five bucks. First month's free. It's just a Zoom call where people get support from Kathy and Todd in real time on Zoom, amongst many other things. Be a part of the Facebook community, um, get special deals, all that good stuff. So so now it's my turn because Kathy sent me a text. We're 14 minutes in and now about to start the show, which <laughs> I love. Um, Kathy sent me a text of a Glennon and Abby podcast and her sister. What you say it was? Amanda. See how quickly I forget yes. things? My poor brain. Um, and it was called, what was the name of the the title of that podcast, you remember? It was about the world being messy. We can do it. You're not a mess. The world is okay. So Glennon and Amanda were talking a lot about empaths, and they had a caller call in about how the caller is struggling with what we're doing to our environment. Environment. She's actually interesting. I thought of JC because she's an environmental science major, and JC, our oldest daughter, who's at college. She considered becoming an environmental science major and she took some environmental classes in high school and she was like, this is so depressing. She was like, I don't know if I can do this for four years. So she's going to try and incorporate it into what she does, but she couldn't like I, this woman's call, which was how do I focus on climate change and in the environment and still wake up every day and not feel miserable. And maybe we'll talk about that exact topic, but just to kind of expand it out a little bit, they also talked about what's going on in Afghanistan and yep. how really the, the, the focus I want to um, concentrate on is the way Glennon and her sister, who both identify as empaths, experience this and feel the weight and the heaviness of it and the love and all these like... Well, and I don't know if Amanda identifies the same way Glennon does. I think Amanda is much more action-oriented. I don't think... I I think that they have similarities, but I think this is more Glennon's story. I might be lumping them together unfairly. So Mm -hmm. let's just say Glennon for sure. And Glennon and Abby are people that have been at our conference uh, two years ago. So anyways... So what I loved about it, and, you know, I love Abby on this podcast (laughs) because she doesn't talk that much. 
You know, she on this specific podcast. Well, yeah, it, it, certainly in this specific podcast. And what's great about that, and I should probably take a lesson from that, is the less you talk, I think, the more people will engage because it doesn't happen as often mm. as when the person who's talking a lot. Um, so just from a supply and demand yeah. economics thing. So then I don't know if I set this up right. So, sweetie, if you ask me, tell me to pause if it doesn't make sense. Okay. But, and now my... I just have to ask because this is... So this is an, Abby talking. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people are going to have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> um, but I am not like you in this way, Glennon. I am not an empath. Um and so I sometimes find it more difficult to get to where you are. I do all the time in my brain. I'm like, yes, this makes sense. This is what we're going to do. You mean in terms of like feelings, in terms of caring? Yeah. Like sometimes, <laughs> you know, when you sit at the foot of my bed and, and you have an easel and a coffee and you're like coffee revolu revolution, we're going to get these kids out of cages at the border. I'm like, Okay, this is, I understand that it's terrible in my brain, but mm -hmm. I don't, I don't experience it in my body. And it, mm -hmm. it, I actually feel like a lot of your listeners might understand and feel the similar way that it actually feels like something's broken in me because I see it so happening so real and fervently inside of you mm -hmm. that I'm like, well, why am I an ice cream? Yeah, babe. I was going to say maybe like stop there just so you can talk a little bit about that and then we go on. Um, yeah, there's actually only 15 seconds left. Oh, go ahead then. Ice queen, am I cold? Like when we go to art. She said ice queen, by the mm -hmm. way, which I thought is an interesting term. Yeah. Art museums, you're walking around and you have tears in your eyes. And I'm like, I got nothing. Nice picture. <laughs> I'm just like walking around with my hands behind my back, acting the part. There you go. So the reason I connected with that is, what did she say? I feel like I'm broken. I'm broken, yeah. And I have a lot more self-compassion and self-love for myself, duh, that's lady redundant woman, mm -hmm. than I did, say, five years ago. So I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm able to love myself more in a way that I couldn't five years ago. So, but there's still a part of me that feels in comparison to the way you experience the world, Kathy, slash sweetie, um, <laughs> is so different than the way I do. I have this, and I, I'm guessing Abby would agree with this. I have this, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, but it's compartmentalization. And if I see a bad story in the news in the morning, I can store that in my brain, not revisit it until I want to go revisit it. And I make up a story about empaths is, they have a less ability to compartmentalize or turn it off for a second. Does that make any sense? It does, but I think you're dealing with two different things. So there's like a cognitive empathy where you understand something and you think something. And then there's an emotional empathy where you have a body-like experience mm. with something. So I think people who maybe feel the way that I do, we're not thinking about it all the day. We feel sick in our bodies. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of that idea of compartmentalization 
you're saying like, well, I just put it away. So why don't you put it away? And it's not in my mind. It's in my body. Yeah, I'm no, I, feeling and, it. And I don't mean to insinuate that you should put it, anybody no. should do anything. I know. And I know you're not saying, uh, I just think that's a really, the way you brought it up makes the the experience very distinctly different yeah. is that there is you read a story and you cognitively just mm-hmm. like Abby said you think about it mm-hmm. and you're like ooh that sucks yeah. and you but you the reason you can put it away is cuz it's a thought it's that you're thinking yeah, about it yeah it never penetrated my body sensations correct right so i think th- why the experience of being and, and, and it's funny, I, I've always put myself in the empath category or I have since I've understood what an empath was. But my daughter and I were having this conversation because she's very similar and she doesn't love that word. That word doesn't resonate with her. She likes highly sensitive person. So the reason I'm saying that to people is if you don't identify with the word empath, maybe you can just identify with what we are describing, which is you have a bodily reaction to things you hear or see. And you you feel it as if it's your own. But is it also in your brain too? Does it penetrate your brain in the same way it penetrates your body? Well, I mean, we're kind of how do I, how do I want to say this? Like, what, that, like in other words, if you feel crappy because you saw a terrible story about Afghanistan in the morning, and you still like you have an upset stomach, let's say, does it also mean that you're thinking about Afghanistan Afghanistan all day, or no? Well, yeah, because I, I keep what I was trying to say is I'm coming up with some phrase like splitting straws. What's mm-hmm. that word? Splitting hairs. Splitting hairs. Thank you. Not straws. No, I, I don't know what good <laughs> would come out of splitting straws. Because splitting hairs. Um, I understand why that saying makes sense because a hair is already so thin, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so we got that wide. figured out. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, splitting hairs is that of course I'm seeing it and reading it and my brain is seeing it, mm. but then my experience with it is not cognitive; it's emotional. Mm. So when you say I... emotional, though, let me stop you there. Like, okay. what do you mean emotional? You mean in your body sensation? Correct. Because emotions are are in your head or in your body or both. Both. Yeah, it's both. So when yeah. you say it's emotional, it's head and body. I know, but that's my point. Because you just said, are you thinking about it? Or are you feeling it? And what I'm saying is it's both. All the above. Because you can't feel, I mean, like we could just think something that's old, which a lot of us do, and then have a body experience. Mm-hmm. But what we are talking about right now is I read or hear about something going on in our country, in a different country down the street or in my own family, and I hear it, so it's obviously going through my brain, so I'm having a cognitive awareness, Mm -hmm. and then I have a body experience with it as if I am at, that's too extreme, I am identifying very closely with the person or people who are experiencing it. Mm -hmm. If I am thinking about someone who is afraid, I become afraid. If I am thinking about someone who probably doesn't feel good right now, either like anxiety, depression, I can feel that in my body. So it's not just solely a cognitive experience. So let's let's um, use a different example. We're talking about real world events. Let's let's take it off the real world events. Okay. there's exception to this, but for me, when I'm watching a scary movie, uh-huh. I have the ability to mm, discern that it's a movie and it's not real. So when this, for the most part, there's a, there's some movies that scare me, but not the way it impacts you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's funny is some of the movies that scare me aren't even scary movies, like No Country for Old Men. The bad guy from No Country for Old Men totally freaks me and out. And it doesn't bother me at all. Um, 
but I have the ability to remember that there's a boom mic and these are just people playing roles. Okay. You, I don't think, have the ability to do that. No, that's not true at all. Of course I know so it's a movie. So why do you do that when you're scared? Todd, that's like saying, like, think about what you're asking of me. You're saying, why don't you use your brain to control your brain? And what I'm telling you is, of course I know I'm watching a movie, but when I am taking something in, I'm having a body experience. Yeah. My body cannot tell the difference between... Fake that, yeah. and real. What I'm experiencing is when I take in someone's pain, yeah. I remember and recall pain and I'm having a mirror neuron yeah. or like, what's it called when you're having a reciprocal yeah. experience? And so it's not as if I don't know I'm watching a movie. But, I mean, is it, but don't you, like I'm thinking of Eckhart Tolle um, in A New Earth. He talks about you when you, when you watch a movie and you have a body experience uh-huh. there's at least a part of you that disidentifies that you're watching a movie well, and you're course. actually part of the story of course i mean i just watched primal fear with cameron yeah. and i'm not walking around thinking that right. aaron and roy are yeah. the same person do you know what i mean like yeah. i'm i'm done with it but i've also seen it 5 6 7 8 times and i have also um it's an old, like there's ways that I can take myself out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, some Is this of- one of them? <laughs> so I'm putting my hand in front of my face and Kathy will put the hand between her eyes and the TV screen, even though you will keep your fingers open. So it still sort of seeps in there. Uh-huh. Is that something you do to protect yourself? Absolutely. And that is, and I know that you, many members of my family are, they make fun of me for that because they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> but there is an energy block where I'm not taking in every aspect of what I'm seeing. So I'm like pixelating. Mm-hmm. I'm like changing what my body is experiencing. So I'm just taking it in auditorily without the visuals. Yeah. So it's less of an impact, but yeah. I'm still having the experience of the movie. So I know what's happening or if it's not auditory and everything is supposed to be visual, I'm only going to take in part of it. So, so it doesn't make sense to you, I know, and, every, and and people tend to make fun of me, but I totally am doing it for a reason. Well, I also tell you, I'm actually jealous or envious of how you experience movies. Yeah. Like I want to lose myself in the movie mm-hmm. and I sometimes judge myself for not having that ability. And what's interesting about this Glennon podcast, they tell this really interesting story. Yeah. Do you want to share the basics well, of that? I think people should go to their podcast and listen to it, but we'll, we'll say the gist of it. Yeah, let's say the gist. The gist of it is there was an experience that they had where something had to be meets. done really quickly, meaning there was like somebody in trouble. Yeah. And because Abby is able to stay in, I don't want to say she's able to stay in the moment, because Abby can respond mm-hmm. in a way where she can actually take action and do something, she was really effective in that moment. She was able to stay calm, get help because there's a kid who passed out. Uh-huh. So she helped in a way. Uh-huh. And Glennon's response was... She passed out. She fainted. Right. Which I haven't fainted in a good 15 years, but I I would have probably a similar panicky experience. Now, I say that and then I also retract it because part of the reason I became a social worker, you know, it's like I became a yoga teacher to learn how to breathe. Mm-hmm. I became a social worker to learn how to deal with life better. Mm-hmm. Um, not just for my own personal gain, but so I could be with people in a way that wasn't, so I could be helpful, yeah. right? And so I have, I think, a very good poker face. Mm-hmm. Now, 
what I mean by that is people tell me a lot of things that sometimes they're very shocking and I don't think I yeah. demonstrate any kind of shock. Yeah. I think that as a therapist and as somebody who is um, – it, it, their job is to support people in a difficult moment. I think I do that very well. Yeah. The difference is, though, after that moment has passed and I'm by myself, sometimes that energy that came in that I kind of just held, Mm -hmm. almost like I froze it in time. Or you put it somewhere. I put it somewhere. Then I start to have that experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, but I could see myself in a certain situation where I am not the clinician or the social, social worker. For example, if it was my children. Yeah. I could, or someone in my family, I could see myself having a pretty scary experience. So what's interesting is Glennon told that story because she told about how she and Abby are different. Right. And how the differences are actually awesome. Mm -hmm. Because if it was a bunch of empaths in that room and felt all the feelings. We might all be on the floor. Yeah, a bunch of (laughs) of people fainted. So that's not good. So I will, um, I love the fact that Glennon told that story. Yes. And what that helps me with is instead of me trying to be more like Kathy and to be more empathic and to be able to take things into my body instead of just into my brain, um, I think think instead of that, what my goal really should be is just to love and accept myself for how I'm built. And maybe I'll be able to lean into some empathic qualities, but if I'm doing it without really liking the way that I am, then it just won't be that helpful. Well, and again, it's this belief that one way is better than right? the other. And I, th- and I sometimes think that your way is better than my way. Right. Because the uh, offshoot the the bonus of being someone who feels other people is the sometimes a heightened ability to support and help other people mm-hmm. only because we can tell when someone is not okay because we feel it unfortunately and also because we have kind of a different kind of communication and almost a different kind of vocabulary around feelings because we it's very precise. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can tell, you know, when my child that maybe has kind of a frown on their face or whatever, I'm not like, oh, you just must be mad. Mm-hmm. It's like we take all this emotional energy and we, we look through, it's almost like a computer system, like, and it's like, okay, what happened yesterday? What happened today? Where were they? What kind of person are they? What bothers that? And all this computes to like a Oh, you're scared, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Or oh, they really disappointed you. And and I'm not saying I w- I'm always 100% right about that. What I'm saying is there's like an understanding. I think you and I spend a lot of time talking about the intricacies of emotion because you're very I think you're highly emotionally intelligent. Like I think you are you when people tell you how they feel very similar to Abby in this situation, you're like all in. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, what can I do? Or how can I help? Or how can I listen? Or what can I do better? Like your emotional intelligence is is super um, high. I think that what you and I talk about though the most is that sometimes your reading is very uh, general. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like this must mean this. And I'm thinking about a conversation, you're, you're probably like, what are you talking about? I'm thinking about a conversation we had the other day about one of our kids and you're like, she's experiencing this. Do you remember this in the in the kitchen? And I was like, well, maybe she's experiencing. I don't remember that, okay. one, but I have a different example. Okay, go ahead. One of my kids was sharing something vulnerable about something that happened at school um, and she, you know, was 
expressing her beliefs and her feelings through this very challenging moment. And instead of me responding with empathy, I questioned if that her experience yeah, of it, yeah. if it was true. And, you know, I, and I love the fact that you just said I'm highly emotionally intelligent, which I believe I, myself to be. But at the same time, I also know how to screw things up pretty badly. And in that moment, I said the wrong thing because all she wanted to hear was, Wow. Wow, that sucks. Yeah. And instead I was questioning her experience of it. Or that's so interesting. Yeah. You know, what you're feeling. Or, oh, now I see. Yeah. Now I see. Because the idea that that our children would relay a feeling and that we'd say, no, is you said something like, is that true? Yeah, because you know, she's like, I feel like sometimes uh, I'm really disappointing you and mom. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's that's not even close to true. Mm-hmm. And I said, Are you sure that that's what's happening? And she's like, you're not hearing me. Right. And but I knew it's not true. I, well, and she wasn't even talking me. about now. She was talking about it historically right. when she was younger. So it was it was kind of an old story that needed to the tri- resurface. The, the tricky part for me was I was part of her story, which was the story she made up was that I was disappointed in her. Mm-hmm which was a blatant lie, mm-hmm. not a lie, but... Well, there's two parts to it. Number one, you didn't know she was talking about history. You thought she was talking about right now. Yes, correct. And number, t- and it was when she was younger yes. where she didn't have as much information. Yes. And number two, you then questioned it. Mm-hmm. So she felt like, you're not following this yeah. story, Dad, and you're questioning my story. And, bo- and she was very raw in the moment. And she was... And so it just... Now, I would say, though, that the turnaround was pretty good. Well, thanks to you... Well, um, you we that's what's cool about having two parents in the household. You can kind of tag out like, oh, I screwed that one up and she doesn't <laughs> want to hear from me right now. Can you can you, you know, like I think of old wrestling where they you remember like the old fake wrestling and they had what are they called? Like not doubles matches, tag team matches, uh-huh. I think. Where they'd like and you'd tap have to each get to the corner the and they yeah. tap and then the other guy would be able to come in. <laughs> yeah. That's what I did. I'm like, I'm tapped out, like uh, right. I'm I'm hurting here. Can you come in and help? So yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. And I think that that example is perfect because there's a few things happening there. Number one, you have to, and, and again, this is, I'm not saying you didn't listen. What I'm saying is you have to be able to hold the entire story. Yeah. So I knew the entire story that she was talking about something that was, his, was historical. And I also knew that the feeling that she was expressing, it wasn't about it being true or false or her giving identifying information. It was a feeling she had. Right. But my brain goes to the true, true, trueness or the falseness and like everything is binary, Logical. one well, or the other. And again, that's cognitive yes. empathy. I floated to my head. You floated into your head and said, beep, 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 boop, boop, boop. Is that true? That's you know, my I said, computer. That it's, is it true that I was disappointed in you? Because that was the thing. Like she's like, yeah, I, I feel like I was disappointing you and mom. And I'm just like, that's not true. Well, and it was also a little bit of your ego, which is I would never do that. Mm. Or why would you think that about me? And um, that is something that I notice really fast with my girls um, for myself too, is where, you know, when you're a parent and you work on something really a lot, like managing your emotions or talking about emotions or making sure you show up on time or you're just really paying attention to certain things and then your kids tell you that you're somehow not paying attention to those things, your ego can get really slapped around where you're like, wait a second here. I am focusing on this all the time, but see that reaction, that wait a second, I am focusing on that is a meeting them in a place of 
contentious. Yeah. It, it, you know, like we're meeting, like if they're 13 and they're saying that to us, then all of a sudden we become 13 and say, you're wrong. Yeah. And really what I love is that when any kid, um, and this is so much easier with other people's kids, <laughs> let me say that for sure, because then the ego part isn't involved. But when a kid says, this is how I feel, and you say either one thing like, oh my gosh, that's so interesting, or I didn't know that, or wow, thank you for sharing, all great things to say. Um, or you say, like if they say, I'm really sad, and you say, oh, I, you know, I can understand why you feel that way. That was really rough. Mm. And you just agree with them that their experience was rough. And that what even if you don't think it's rough, yeah. all of a sudden... I feel like we've talked about this for 10 years, but it dissipates mm. because all anybody wants is I had this experience. Do you see this experience I had? And if we're like, yeah, I see it. Like it just, they almost turn it around and go, oh, that's okay. You know what I mean? They they almost then have the energy to look at you and go, it's okay that yeah. you didn't notice Let's it. Let's the air out of the balloon. It does. It really does. So I want to um, quickly go back a little bit to this podcast. And this is one of the quotes that Abby said regarding... Um, her empath nature. And she said, um, sometimes I care so much that I look all day. So like picture like Afghanistan, like yeah. something that's happening and you can't avoid it. Like you have to continue to take in that information and you care so much that you just look at it all day, mm -hmm. paralyzing you from any type of action that might help people in Afghanistan. Yeah, it's like information overload. But then she also said, sometimes I care so much that I look away. And my question is for me, and you can't answer this for me, but it's just like a discussion point, is it because I choose not, like the only thing I take in the news from is a morning email that takes me about five minutes. Okay. And I just wonder if, because I've judged myself and said, I just don't care. I mean, I care five minutes out of my 24-hour day I care about world events. So I'm judging myself like maybe I'm just, you know, shut down and I just don't care that much about other people. And this quote made me at least consider maybe I care so much that I look away. Possibly. Yeah. And I don't, I, at this moment, I don't know what's true. And it's not either or, it's probably a mix of both. Yeah. There is some part, because I even, just for fun, I, I Googled what's the difference or what's the opposite of an empath? You know what it said? Empaths are the opposites of narcissists. Huh. That doesn't make me feel good. And then the other thing I Googled said, empathy is the opposite of apathy. Mm -hmm. Empathy is defined as the ability to understand and share the feelings of another within feeling or inside plus, it says within plus feeling or inside plus suffering. I don't know what that means. Apathy is defined as lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Um, so anyways, I don't know. I don't know what, where I, well, first of all, I think you saying again, this is your, this is the way your brain works, but you're saying I'm, or you're somehow relating the fact that empathy and you are opposite things. Yet I'm sitting here telling you that you have a high emotional intelligence, but you're like, I'm the opposite of empathy, mm -hmm. which is not true. So you don't have the same type of empathy yeah. as I do. And I don't mean I've got a better type. I have a different experience. Type. Yeah. And I'm trying to put this stuff in black and white terms that if Kathy's empathic 
and I'm not like Kathy. But you are empathic. You just have a cognitive empathy and you start in your mind. Mm -hmm. And then the more information you get, the more you get to your heart. Mine goes into my brain, straight into my veins. Yeah where I'm like lit up and it's not great. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, um, there is a greatness, Mm -hmm. the the example that Abby gave about like going to the art museum and then, you know, I have that experience as well. Not always at the art museum, but a song comes on and I cry immediately or a movie is playing or a TV show or a quote and it goes straight into my veins and I cry. Mm -hmm. So there's a beauty in that. But considering the state of the world and I don't, it's not great to no. have news go into right. your veins. Like, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, is that I also look away and I, you know, when things are really rough, like, for example, when COVID hit and, um, you know, we were still in the midst of the um, the other presidency, I took all social networking off my phone. Mm. And some people say, well, that's healthy. That's good. Well, it kind of sucked too, because part of my work is on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like reading the news. I like being somebody who is connected to what's going on in the world. That's part of who I am. So I didn't like letting that go, but I had to. I had to look away because I was getting sick and I had to take care. And when I say sick, I mean emotionally sick. Mm -hmm. And I had to take care of myself and my people because they were going through stuff too, you and the girls, and I, I can't be overwhelmed by the world. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the point of um, a lot of what we're talking about here is you have to respect who you are and how you experience things and then act accordingly. If that means looking away sometimes, then you must. Yeah. If that means taking more time, with a cognitive empathic response and saying, I want to have this penetrate a little better. Yeah. Then you take that time. It's one of those things, uh, as I'm creating this awareness, it's never what you do. It's from what place are you doing it from? So it's possible that sometimes I will look away because of Mm self-care and the quality for all in my family. And there's other times where I look away because I just want to numb out and not feel anything. Mm -hmm. So it's not what you're doing. It's how are you doing it? Right. Like if we are, you know, I really, you just said this, but I'll say it was something else. If we're eating cake because we don't want to feel, mm-hmm. then that's not great. Yeah. If we're eating cake because it's a birthday party and we want to celebrate and we love cake, yeah. that's great. You know, if we're having sex because we want to connect with somebody we love, that's wonderful. If we're having sex because we think it's some kind of transactional experience where we get power, <laughs> that's not great. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything Nothing is absolute. Everything has this nuance to it. And, you know, I was thinking of another word. I was thinking of um, Ellie Wiesel when you were talking about, you know, the opposite of empathy. It would also be, you said apathy, but indifference. And that may be a synonym to apathy. Mm -hmm. They may be not much different. I'm sure that they're probably close to one another. But like, I think the worry that I always get, like I've read a bunch of books over the last 10 years about the lack of empathy that, and I'll just focus on our country, that that empathy is decreasing. You know, Um, I don't think that's 100% true, but there's a lot of books who that's what they hypothesize, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, the end of empathy or why empathy isn't working, you know, all those kind of things. And another book I loved called Born to Love about why we need empathy so much. And I just think that 
the concern is that we are hardwired in a certain way to make sure we don't hurt each other because we need each other. So when people can really easily hurt other people or not care about other people's experience, we are inadvertently hurting ourselves and obviously others, and we're destroying not only relationships, but our planet, et cetera. So empathy is wonderful. Yeah. We just have to learn how to modulate. Yeah. We have to learn how to maybe turn it. We did We did a show about turn it up, turn it down. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Is it Was it this year? Is it recently? I don't remember. I don't remember either. But we like talked about an empathy dial. That's, mm-hmm. Maybe it was in Team Zen. I don't know. But, you know, just sometimes your empathy needs to be cranked up and sometimes it needs to be cranked up. So I don't know if this, I think this relates to what we're talking about. You know, this caller on this Abby and Glennon podcast, you know, she almost felt paralyzed by the, um, you know, what we're doing to our world as far as climate change. And I remember um, this was at one of my Men Living weekends. There was a man there that was equally disturbed by what we are doing to our world. And he was just weeping uncontrollably. Mm -hmm. It was actually a very sweet moment for both of us. I was lucky to witness it. But sometimes you can weep so much that it paralyzes you. And one thing Glennon said in the podcast was, you need to be able to find joy. Because if you're just feeling all the feels in the world and you're miserable, you're not going to be much good for the world by being miserable. Well, and that's why you need to blend the two. There actually, I think Daniel Goleman in his book um, about EQ, he actually talked about three concepts in regards to empathy. And one was cognitive, one was social, Mm -hmm. and then one was like compassionate empathy, which Mm -hmm. was the blending of the the feelings and the brain. Mm -hmm. And that if you can... um, if you can learn how to, because what compassionate empathy is, is taking action. So let me give an example that's less about helping people, you know, on the border or Afghanistan or wherever it may be. Instead of that, what about your child is crying in front of you? A cognitive empathy response or a cognitive empathy response may be like, I know why they're crying because they're upset about this, but they don't need to be. They should block it out so you don't even do anything. You either walk away or say, stop crying. An, an over-emotional response, maybe a social-emotional response where you're just really feeling what they're feeling, is you're also overwhelmed and you start crying. Yeah. And that doesn't help your child. But the compassionate, empathic response is you sit down and put your arm around that child because you know that's what they need. And you say you stay strong in that moment feeling what they're feeling, but also capable of taking action. Said another way, I just Googled it, compassionate empathy, because you said exactly right, cognitive and emotional. Mm -hmm. With this kind of empathy, we not only understand a person's predicament and feel with them, but are spontaneously moved to help if needed. It's the balance between cognitive and emotional that enables us to act without being overcome with feeling or jumping straight into a problem-solving process. Sweetie, you nailed that. Yeah, well, Well, it's what I do for a living. Well done. Well done, Leslie. All right, it's 47. I say we quit. Um, so I was going to say something else about that podcast. Oh, um, a funny a funny story that... Uh, so first of all, Glennon and Amanda and Abby's podcast is called We Can Do Hard Things. So we should give it the right title since mm-hmm. we've been saying Glennon's podcast. I think it's great. I've been listening to it since it came out, and I feel like I talk about it all the time. I know that it's probably number one, and we don't need to convince anybody yeah. to listen. But it was funny. When Glennon and Abby were at our conference a couple of years ago, um, they were our opening speakers on Saturday. And one of the things that um, they let us know is they actually 
actually flew in from different places, if I remember correctly, or they flew in together and Abby had to leave immediately. Yeah, they were immediately. flying out to different places. And so they told us, like, Abby's got a hard stop yeah. at this time. And we were like, absolutely. Like, Todd and I are very big on making sure people get to where they need to go. But also part of their, after they were done speaking, um, Kathy Richardson, who is the lead singer of Jefferson Starship, she's a friend of ours, she actually lives in town, she sang for them an Indigo Girls song, which is, you know, Closer to Fine, which is one of Glennon's absolute favorite songs. And then she sang one of her own songs, which everybody loves. And we were going over that time. And I remember going, looking at Abby and saying, I know Kathy is singing, but we will take it. She's like, no, no." like she did not want to disrupt. She was loving the music. She didn't want to leave. And, but then when everything ended, she was like, Todd, wasn't she like, run me out of here? Yeah, because everybody wants to talk to her. Right. So I had, you know, part of my um, cool experiences from that conference was uh, I was in charge of leading her out and trying to protect her from the Navigate, people that wanted yes. to. And she was frustrated because I wasn't running fast enough. <laughs> and I realized like, oh, this is probably the best female Athlete. soccer player ever. And she could run three times as fast as I could. So she was like, go, yes. go, go, go. Yes. And I, she did, I think she got to where she needed to go on I time. I think she did too, but who knows? But I carried a little bit of um, heaviness about it afterwards because we, I really do pride myself on being like, if this is what you need, this is what we'll get you because people are so great at our conference. And um, I was like, oh, I hope she wasn't stressed out. Cause you know, I like to be to the airport way ahead of time. This I know. Like I'm talking like an hour and a half. This I know. I want to go to the bathroom. I want to get my water. I want to maybe do a little work before I get on the phone. I just, or on the phone. On the plane. <laughs> I'm not going to get on the phone. Um, Remember they used to have phones in the back of the seats? I do. And it was like a cool thing. I know. And we'd be like, who am I going to? And, and I never understood even when they were there, how do I make this call? There's a little credit card thing. There. I know, but it never worked. Oh, mine worked. Oh, it did? Oh, sure. Who'd you call? You weren't calling anybody. Mike Phillips. Did you really? Yeah. I There's a time there where I would call my college buddy and say, <laughs> Whenever I leave for a work trip, I'm just going to call you to say hi. And I did that. On the plane? Yeah, just for a little bit. That's like, for example, when I got my first um, bag phone. So this was like 93. What's a bag phone? It's like a phone in a bag. It was before we had cell phones. Like it was like you would charge it and it like lived in a bag. I have no idea what you're talking well, about Well, right that's now. kind of what I'm saying is that my the guy I worked for, I used to be a recruiter, by the way, which is hilarious because I just am, that's like so not my personality. But anyway... I, he said, while you're on the road, you need to take this phone, like just in case you need to call me. And I had that bag phone for a year. It never worked. I never understood how to work it. I never made a call on it. And, you know. I, I just Googled bag phone yeah. and you're right. There, it turns out there was something called a bag I phone. I had it. That's why I didn't make it up. I had it on my front seat. Vintage mobile bag phone. 1999 on you on eBay if you want one. I don't want one because I couldn't use it when I had it. Kind of looks like the Gordon Gecko one from. Uh, For real, because when you'd pull it out of the bag, yeah. it was like a big phone, like yeah. a Gordon Gecko phone. And I remember, and it just so happened that two of my one of my roommates that I lived with in Chicago, and then my friend Lara, and then my friend Amy, they both worked for what used to be called Metro Media, mm-hmm. and then that became WorldCom, which became something else. But. Um, they always had the best new phones. And I was like with my bag phone that didn't work. Well, at least you had it. And eventually I got the pink phone. Do you remember that phone? Did no, you buy that but I me? can imagine that it was, oh, you mean the Razor? The Razor. Oh, yeah. That was my first cool phone. Love the Razor. 
And, and we played Snake. That was on Nokia, though. Yeah, it was a Nokia 6160. Yeah. I was a big fan. And you played a lot of Snake. A lot of Snake. You wanted to get, like, top score. I know. Um, Jeremy Kraft, he is a bald-headed beauty. He's installing a screen door on our front and our side and our back door. Today? On, no. Yeah, Tuesday. Today, you're right. Yeah. So uh, painting and remodeling and a whole bunch of other things. So if you live in the Chicagoland area, um, go to avidco.net, or you can just give him a call, 630-956-1800. We are, uh, would love to have you check out Team Zen. It's just an opportunity to in- interact with Kathy and myself live twice a month and be supportive in, com- in a community. Um, what's their tagline for Team Zen? Zero pressure, 100% support. That's right. And always remember um, that men living. So if there's any guys out there and want to connect in an authentic and deep way i would love to see you guys check it out um i'd love to see you guys check it out yeah well isn't that a good thing i'd to love say? to watch you check it out uh, yeah it's I a guess. virtual and in-person community guys connecting deeply and living fully no requirements no creeds no gurus no judgments all you have to do is join us when you can um that's it anything else you want to promote so we're doing another show and it'll post on wednesday morning so again as todd said two shows this week double so, that's right uh, so we'll catch you next week. Keep trucking. No, t- tomorrow. Oh. I just said we're doing catch you tomorrow. Show. Keep trucking. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. The best part of what we do is getting to spend time with our listeners and an awesome community of parents who have come together over at Team Zen. Team Zen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents, and you'll even get exclusive content from Kathy and me. Find out more about Team Zen on our site, zenparentingradio.com. We know your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful info, so sign up for the Zen Parenting Moment. Two times a week, you'll receive a quick read that will boost your day and improve your outlook. Sign up at zenparentingradio.com. While men and women, moms and dads, parents and non-parents are all welcome here at ZPR, we know most of our followers are female and moms. So today we're shouting out an opportunity that's just for the guys. Men Living creates opportunities for men to gather together to give and get support and build friendship. I am one of the founders of the group and you'll find me every week helping facilitate our virtual meeting on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Interested or want to share the details with someone you love? You can find the Zoom link at menliving.org. Ready for a Gen X view of personal growth? Join us for Pop Culturing, our podcast filled with humor, fun, and a characteristic emphasis on self-awareness as we explore movies, TV, and pop culture. And don't forget, I coach guys. So if you're interested, head on over to toddadamscoaching.com and schedule a one-on-one session. First session is free. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.